It's time once again for the Experience Franklin County podcast, where each week we take a look at the people, places, and events that make Franklin County, Indiana such a magical place. Let's get right into this week's interview. Hey, friends, I'm here with Kerry Patrick Clark. I'm so excited to chat with him. We spent a little bit of time pre-interview kind of getting to know each other and found out that we have lots of mutual connections through our musical travels through the world. I'm Rick Garrett with Franklin County Tourism. Kerry, thanks for taking time out of your schedule today to meet with me. Oh, my gosh, what a treat. And thanks for the, the connection and the, the small world of our conversation. I love I love it. I, I can't wait to sit down and have a cup of coffee or a meal with you sometime and just explore all these connections that we found out in just a few minutes. Yeah, let's do it. So, Carrie, you're going to be coming to Metamora right here in Franklin County on May the 13th to perform at the Opry Barn. We're very excited about that. But let's talk a little bit first before we talk about the show about your musical journey. Uh, you're a singer-songwriter. I am. How did your musical journey start? Uh, well, my my uh, let's see, my mom and dad celebrated their what fifteenth anniversary or so, and my mom bought my dad a guitar out of the back of a J.C. Penney catalog. It was a <laughs> guitar. This is back in the so let's see, fifteen. I would have been. This has been early seventies, somewhere around seventies. Singer songwriter. Right. You had the John Denvers and the Harry Chapins and the Gordon Lightfoots. That was the music that was being played on the radio. And so I was drawn to male singer songwriter music. And so I didn't know anybody that played a guitar. And here my mom was super excited. She gave dad this guitar. He opens it up. A little tear comes down his cheek and he starts playing and he's playing a country song. He's like, you know, um, um, what was he playing? Your cheating heart. Hank Williams, right? And I'm, and I'm just. First of all, Dad, I didn't know you played the guitar. There's a tear coming down your cheek. There must be a story there. And so this, you know, this weeks and months of conversations and questions, and then ultimately it was teach me how to do that, Dad. And so he taught me three chords, and I went. My heart just grabbed onto it, and I went. I understand why I'm here on this planet. Just that moment of clarity when it all kind of comes together. Yeah. And I love the story of how the the guitar was your father's. My wife is a fiddler. I think we have talked about this via email. And she actually started playing on her grandfather's fiddle when she was in sixth grade. And such uh, a tradition of music being handed down from family to family. And isn't that the essence of folk music? Just history oh, being handed down from generation to generation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, so long before... Long before written word and recorded words, we would gather around, we aboriginals or indigenous people would gather around a fire and listen to the elders or listen to the story of the hunt. Right. And it was, it was done for two reasons, because it was community growing, but it was also a way of sharing information and the history, the morals and the ethics of our community with the younger generation. And we continued to tell these stories. And that's where... You know, folk music, I think, grew out of that. There's a, there's a really long timeline that I've just eliminated most of. With, right. um, but in my family, I grew up, I think, in a middle class, probably lower middle class family. I didn't know it at the time. We didn't go out to dinner. We didn't, you know, shopping at, at the local supermarket was a once a month kind of a thing. My mom played organ. We had a piano. Uh, my dad played the guitar. I played the guitar. Dad harmonica. Sister sang, played organ and the piano. We had a Time Life book, and we'd open it, you know, three, four times a week after dinner, after the dishes were done, and we'd sing um, There's a Tavern in the Town or The Three Little Fishies went up the little stream, and they swam, and they swam, you know? I love that. And 
my background is very similar. I grew up in East Tennessee, and we didn't have a television. We didn't have a radio, anything like that. My dad was a coal miner. We were a pretty destitute family, but everybody in our little community played music. So on evenings, all the instruments would come out and the stories, and it's just such a rich history of all of our lives. So did you start writing very young or was that something that kind of came later in your musical career? It did come later. You know, the picture I had, uh, my seventh grade social studies teacher who became my musical mentor and lifelong friend till he passed away about five years ago of lymphoma. He was the local singer-songwriter superstar. And I met this guy who had a real job, you know, as we say in the music world, and <laughs> did this music on the side. Uh, and he mentored me. And so the picture I had was playing covers. And, you know, this is before the internet. This is before right. any of any understanding of the ability to record your own music costs a lot of money. And the equipment costs a lot of money. No, no, no. I just want to play. I have this desire to sing these songs that I'm hearing on the radio, put my own spin on them. It was years later when the when the the songwriting bug happened. Uh, and and actually, that's not entirely true because in sixth grade, I did write my first song. So as I'm thinking about this, I'm going, well, wait a minute. Maybe there's a right. different answer to this question. But now I've confused everybody, including myself. <laughs> So, so you wrote your first song in sixth grade, but didn't take it serious till till later in life. I think was uh, kind of what you're saying there. Yeah, and what you, I mean, you know, I think I knew there was an inherent knowledge in me or a knowing in me that you know the songs I'm writing in sixth grade are are probably pretty crappy. <laughs> and it was. I mean, it's. I I still remember part of it. It was about running away with a circus, right? And being I the love star that. of the trapeze or the dude with a big top hat and. I actually revisited that concept on my last album, uh, and it's called What a Show. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's awesome. So uh, you uh, started out doing covers, you started writing, and you spent some time with the new Christy Minstrels, I believe. Is that correct? I yeah, I was I was 21. The uh, year would have been 1985. I got a call from Sid Garris, who was the manager, owned the name of the Christies, and they had... Um, they had uh, brought people in for tours. Um, they heard a cassette tape. That's an old statement. They heard a cassette <laughs> tape of mine and called and said, hey, we want to fly out to audition for the group. And I'm looking at my schedule going, are you kidding me? I'm singing every night this summer. Why would I fly out to audition for your stinking little group? <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so I told him, listen, I, I can't, but um, I, I just released a record. I was trying to buy some time. And when I say I released a record, I released a record. It was a, you know, 12 inch piece of vinyl and put it on a plate that spins around, stick the nail in the, in the grooves and sound comes out the speaker. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, and I sent him this record and he uh, called back and he says, well, you don't have to audition. You're in the group. Get your butt out here. Oh my goodness. And so I did. And for the better part of that year, 1985, it was the 25th anniversary edition of the group. And we toured, we did six shows a week, um, all across the Midwest and the and the Southwest and the uh, left coast, it was it was incredible. Did some songs come out of that experience? They did. Uh, there was a song that uh, uh, Jerry Anderson, the bass player in the group, and I wrote called "America, You're My Home." Because in 1985, if you remember, uh, well, I take you back. In 1985, we were celebrating the hundredth birthday of the Statue of Liberty, and it was the same year that Factory Farm in the news, Factory Farms were being foreclosed upon. Right. And so you had family farms that were generations, you know, three, four, five, six generations in a family. 
and they couldn't sustain their way of life anymore. And it was really sad. Uh, and it was in this weird balance where we're going, well, you know, who are we to be? There's this patriotic wave because of, because of the Statue of Liberty. And so Jerry and I sort of in a folk way, uh, wrote this song called America, You're My Home. But yeah, some songs came out of that. That's awesome. So let's talk songwriting for a minute, since we've already been touching on that. Um, where do you get your inspiration? I love that question, because that's what it, inspiration is where it comes from. And the answer is, you know, the higher, the heavens, whatever whatever your name for God is, that's, uh, that's my understanding of where the inspiration comes from. Uh, my job as a songwriter is to take the process of songwriting and it's work. It is work, but I can't write unless there's that spark of inspiration. Right. And it can be anything. It could be something you say in the, in our conversation that I write down and make a note of, or, or get my, uh, my smartphone out and make a little message to myself. Right. And then my job is to come back later and work those through. What was I trying to say? What, and really, what is the song trying to say? Uh, that's my process in songwriting because I think uh, this is what I emailed you in, in, our, in our conversation. You know, we're in this conversation, be- we all are in this conversation between our head and our heart, let alone all the craziness that's happening on our planet between politics and social media and headline news. We dance with this this uh, this two foot conversation between our head and our heart, and so I I think I think that's that's why I'm here is to write songs to help certainly help me understand that journey and that process and that dialogue, but also to help others in that in that. And sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's a little insane, sometimes it's ridiculous, sometimes it'll bring a tear to your eye, and all of it is part of part of the journey of life, you know. I've often, I have always found the process of songwriting so fascinating and delving into how people get their inspiration, the mechanics of writing songs. I'm just going to ask you a question. Um, I didn't start writing till later in life, uh, like in my 60s. I had always done traditional bluegrass, traditional Celtic music, uh, mm. you know, church hymns. Mm. Uh, and actually, over COVID, I decided I wanted to write an album of my years growing up in East Tennessee, where my dad worked in the coal mines and then went to work for the railroad. I have such vivid memories of those years down in the mountains. It's been really interesting because sometimes a song will come to me and I will spend 10 minutes on it and look at it and play it. And I'm like, that's done. Mm. That's just finished. I also have songs I've been working on for three or four years that aren't even close to completion. I just can't quite get there. Have you had that same experience? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to be the interviewer for a moment. What's the <laughs> name of that? What's the name of the album that you did? Well, I haven't recorded it yet. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is something I want to hear, my friend. I will send some links to you because I have some on YouTube and so on. Oh, I'd love to, I really would love to hear those. Right, right. Uh, uh, one of my favorite, by the way, the reason this re- resonates for me is one of my favorite movies is a, a movie called October Sky. And the story is, right, this guy dreams about being, uh, well, he didn't at first, but he, because of a teacher, he got into rockets and ultimately became a NASA engineer and worked for NASA in the space shuttle mission. But he grew up in the same place that you did in the, in the right, in the coal mining community. Right where the factories owned, uh, owned the, uh, the, the stores and the shops and the homes that you rented. And it was a sort of indentured servant kind of a life, right? You couldn't rise above the amount of debt that you owned. 
And this argument between this kid and his father, and he's like, no, I have to be me, which is sort of my story. My dad was a scientist, even though he played the guitar, you know, talking to his son, going, dad, this is what I have to do. Well, yeah, but you got to get a real job. Why? (laughs) I want to do this anyway, but I want to hear those. I want to hear those songs. I will absolutely send some to you. So the uh, question of songwriting is, uh, yeah, there are some, some that come to me that are just gifts and don't require a lot of work. Those are really seldom and, and few and far between. Most of the time it requires work because the inspiration is such a small picture or a line or a word. And I have to work out why that inspiration came and what it's trying to say or how it wants to be sung or spoken. Um, and then you get into the headspace. Uh, by the way, that's the heart work. And the headspace is the questions of songwriting. What am I trying to say? Where's this going? What's the hook? What's that thing that people can hang their coat or hat on or they're, they're, they, they come back to that resonant place of familiarity that they can sing? That's the hook of the song. So, um, And there's an, a song on my uh, latest album called Silence that happened. My wife and I have been married 20, almost 26 years. And it happened the night of our honeymoon as we flew down to Naples to her father's condo. He let us use for our honeymoon. And we were standing on the beach watching the sunset with about a hundred thousand other people. And what struck me was that moment of silence when the sun hit the horizon. It it was so deafening. It was more profound than the hundred thousand people all sort of talking. And, and then the minute the sun disappeared, there was a pregnant pause. And then we started talking again. It was the st- oddest and it just captured me and it's that moment that took 26 years i wasn't actively working on the song right but i was thinking about it for 26 years going i know there's something in there and when it comes out it'll be interesting Uh, so it sort of marinated in my life for 26 years and finally came out and it's one of my favorite songs i love that i've been listening to your music and i love i love what you're doing i'm kind of surprised with all the connections that our our paths have not crossed uh, mm. Before now, actually, let's talk influences just for a second. Are there certain songwriters you th- think that influence your work? Well, I think the guys that I've talked about already, you know, the, right. the um, Harry Chapin. Well, John Denver was my everything. I didn't need another artist, you know. Um, and then I went uh, in seventh grade. I was in seventh grade, 1970. What was it? 73, 72, something like that. Um, there was a concert called the Four Together Concert up in Detroit. My best friend had aunt had tickets, and so I went. Twenty five bucks. I mowed the lawn for the rest of the year to pay my parents back. <laughs> uh, Twenty five dollars. But on stage were five men: Harry Chapin, Gordon Lightfoot, James Taylor, John Denver, and Harry Chapin, uh, Gordon Lightfoot's lead guitarist. I didn't know who these people were. I knew John Denver was there, and I kept looking at my buddy, going, "Who are these people? And when are they going to get off the stage and let John start playing?" <laughs> and 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 Harry Chapin jumped up on on stage. And he, man, there were two people in the in the crowd that night, in, in that room, in that concert hall that night, me and Harry. Uh, and he became he became a teacher for me about song. His his songs were stories, and they broke the mold of a, a three and a half, two and a half, three minute song uh, that pop radio requires. Uh, country radio is two and a half, or used to be. It's a little longer now. And the stories that captured me, and I tried to be Harry for a long time, writing these lengthy, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but he was, he was my teacher and inspiration. And, but all those guys were inspiring to me. And then later on the, um, you mentioned, you mentioned Rich, um, Rich Mullins, you know, uh, amazing songwriter. Uh, I don't know what it was about his music that captured me. 
uh, some of Chris Tomlin's work in churches, the, the worship songs, Amy Grant, um, Stephen Curtis Chapman, um, John Mayer is another one, recent guy that's, that's I think is quite amazing. Sting uh, is another guy that I, you know, just, just love. So it's sort of, um, it's certainly more eclectic now than it used to be, uh, but my taste in music is pretty thin. <laughs> <laughs> well, listening to your music, uh, one of the things that I appreciate, all music has a spiritual aspect to it, no matter what style, no matter what the lyrics are, you can find a spiritual aspect. But there are certain artists where that really shines through. John Denver is one of those mm. for me. Mm -hmm. I always connected very spiritually with his music. Dan Fogelberg is another one of those oh, guys for yes, me. Yes, yes, yes. So I I love that aspect of your music. And I know the folks in Metamora are going to like that too. And this is at least your second visit to Metamora coming up on May 13th, correct? It is, yeah. Yeah. And you have a couple of fellows from, I believe, my brother's keeper, perhaps, that are playing with you that night? Well, they're opening, and and these are guys I've yet to hear, and I'm super excited. You know, when they when they send links of who the opening acts are and things like that, I'm always on and typically shooting an email because, I mean, listen, I hear myself all the time. I'd rather right. hear y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are no strangers to Metamora either, so... Uh, uh, you will really enjoy their music. The audience will also. And we're so excited to have you back here in Franklin County, Indiana, at the Opry Barn in Metamora, which is an amazing venue, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. I was so taken. I, I showed up early and walked around the, the, this little Metamora, the can canal town, right? Nothing was open. It was pretty early in the season. An ice cream shop and maybe an antique store, I think, <laughs> were the only two that were there. <laughs> I was so taken, right? Because it's like stepping back in time and taking a breath. And, uh, and I think that's what I can bring too is a musical moment of storytelling and songs that help us just bring us to that moment of remembering who we are and whose we are. And um, yeah, just celebrating community and music and life. And I think that is so important, especially in this day and age, as we touched on earlier, when we are constantly bombarded with information. Every time you turn on the computer, every time you turn on the radio, every time you turn on the television, we're just bombarded. Mm. And it's not always helpful information. Well, yeah, we live in a time that's really polarizing. I don't know that we've lived in a time that's been more polarizing than the, the places we are. Uh, so excited to have you. You'll be at the Opry Barn on May the 13th. We will put a link to tickets so you can pre-purchase tickets. And it's going to be a great night. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your re We're recording this on a Monday morning, which is often not the optimal time to be recording an interview. <laughs> but I appreciate you. I'm, I'm so grateful. Thank you for your work and your passion and your purpose. So, folks, in the description below the video, you'll find a link to Carrie's music. You'll find a link to Metamora, Indiana, where you can purchase tickets uh, in advance. There will be food available at the concert, and it is at the Opry Barn in Metamora. Wonderful, wonderful, intimate venue uh, on May the 13th. Carrie, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much, Rick. And here are some of our events coming up for the next couple of weeks. Saturday, May the 6th, there's a stained glass workshop at the She Shed Glass Studio. Check our website for more information. Also on Saturday the 6th, it is Celebrate 1838 in Metamora, Indiana, with displays, groups, historical dancers, and much more. That runs from noon to 3 p.m. And then at 6 p.m., it's a hoot nanny at the Grist Mill. Come join us for this fun event. 
Sunday, May the 7th, it's the Grist Mill Jam at the Grist Mill in Metamora from 1 to 4 p.m. Come bring an instrument and play. All ages and all skill levels are welcome, and you're welcome to come sit and listen if you don't play. Starting Monday, May the 8th, and running all week, it's the Friends of the Library book sale at the Brookville and Laurel Libraries. Saturday, May 13th, the Whitewater Canal guided tour starting at the Grist Mill. That's at 2 p.m. And Saturday evening, May 13th, Carrie Patrick Clark, singer-songwriter who we just heard from in our interview, View will be appearing at the Opry Barn in Metamora. That starts at 6 p.m. For information on these and other events, just check out our website. That's franklincountyin.com. Click on the events tab and we'll let you know what's going on. Until next week, we hope to see you experiencing Franklin County.